I'm Richard Bond, and I am the producer and director of the Tupac Assassination movies. Over the last 12 years, I have learned a lot about Tupac, and I'd like to share with you what I know. Well, hello everybody, this is RJ Bond, and welcome to my podcast. This is the first inaugural podcast. A lot of people have been asking, they're excited about doing a podcast, but they've been asking, you know, why a podcast? Why don't you do the YouTube videos like you used to do? And I put a lot of thought into that, and kind of here's here's where it's about. YouTube has become, I would say, a cancel culture, if you're familiar with that term, and that means that if you don't like what someone is saying or they don't like what you're saying, they have a very convenient and easy method of trying to get your video dumped. And unfortunately, when they dump your video, they dump the content that goes with it. And we have a lot of things that, you know, we like to say in the old videos that Jesse and I used to do together and some of the work that I've done. Um, you know, it, it's hard to actually have a point of view these days when the mechanism for getting that information out is, is killed. And there's a lot of trolls out there. Podcasts are a little bit different. They're a little bit harder to knock down in terms of just easy cancel. Um, you know, opinions are opinions. And what you say clearly is freedom of speech. Since we're not showing any video, um, it's very difficult to uh, uh, strike that and bring that down. So the vehicle of the way that we're going to talk is is good. But I wanted to also frame up a little bit while we're doing the podcast as, as to what these podcasts are going to be about, because <clears throat> they're not necessarily going to be what you think they might be. Um, you know, I'm getting older now. It's, I'm in my 50s. And, you know, I've seen a lot of things happen over the past 12 years or so that I've been working on tying down five documentary films and editing others and writing books and doing all of this all around the world of Tupac. And one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, you've got the central pieces of information, the sound bites that you want for um, doing the documentaries and, and doing the work that you do. And when you do this work, um, you pick, let's say you do a 45 minute interview, you pick probably 15 minutes and then edit it down to a minute and a half. And then what do you do with that other 45 minutes? Well, in the case of a lot of the interviews that I've done over the last 10 years, there's a lot of really great stories that just didn't fit into the narrative, the documentaries, the focus of that. And you have to cut things either for time or for content. A lot of those things just get lost. And I think that's just a darn shame because I've done, I mean, it's a guess, guys, but it's probably 40 interviews, I think, with people. And I've certainly edited others and have, you know, uh, video and audio from, from others. And um, I think it's I think it's good, and I think it would be healthy to have the fans actually hear some of these stories being told by some of the people that were closest to Tupac during that time. And I've got them, and we'll put them down there. And and you know the audio is every bit as good as the video. Uh, you can listen to someone tell a story as easily as you can watch somebody tell a story. So getting past the cancel culture, getting past the uh, barriers to that. And also, you know, I guess maybe to set a little bit of a expectation up front, you know, we are going to obviously talk about some of the investigation things. You know, we'll, we'll talk about uh, recent developments in the investigation, if there are any, or Tupac-related uh, news and views and things that kind of cross my desk. 
But the other thing that we're going to talk about really is is the kind of the mortar between the bricks. That is the stuff that isn't the Big Bang thing you might read in the newspaper that everybody does. This is going to be the stuff where we talk about the between the lines conversations. We're going to talk about uh, what's obvious and then maybe what the subtext is to some of that. But again, we're not going to focus, and I want to say this really clearly so that everybody understands, we're not going to focus entirely on the death and the investigation side of it. Yeah, we'll talk about it from time to time, but I really feel like I'm in a place in my life and uh, at a time that I, I think that it's important to tell some stories that are upbeat, some uplifting stories. Uh, I still feel the way that I felt for a long time, and we'll talk about how my feelings have changed over the theory of liability and the investigation of the killings, um, <clears throat> the new books that have come out and that. We'll get into all that because, you know, this is RJ and this is what I do. But uh, really, the, the focus of the podcast is going to be to introduce you to things that you may not have known, things you may not have heard uh, about Tupac and his life, and to celebrate that a little bit, Biggie and his life, to celebrate that a little bit, Russ Poole and his life, Frank Alexander and his life. I mean, all of these people that I have had a wonderful and amazing journey to be able to talk with to interact with, to understand their feelings and on, on different subjects. And so that's what I want to bring to you as we continue to do the podcast. So I think that it's probably fitting that we go ahead and just start with a clip. Maybe let's just start with a clip from Tracy Robinson. What do you think? Okay, so take it away. Well, I guess it became more of a collaborative process after he got out of jail. Um, I worked with him prior to him, you know, going to Death Row Records, which I can never understand why anyone would choose like Death Row or Lynch Mob or all of these names that, you know, names are powerful, words are powerful. And I just picked some not so great words in my opinion. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, I was hired and I always just did the best job I could do, you know, he and he knew that. I think that's why once he got out of jail, he called me to come and work with him. And, you know, I really did enjoy doing music videos, not only with him. I, I love music. So putting images to the videos, it was just great fun. And when, I guess, you know, when he was doing two of America's Most Wanted, uh, he has so many ideas. His ideas were pretty concrete and very straightforward. I started carrying a tape recorder with me. I, I have still some of the notebooks where he would say, yeah, I want to do this, you know, how do you want it? I want to get these girls from Vegas. I want to have these different sets. We're going to be like cowboys. We're going to have like the kind of the, um, was one scene was, was old style scene with the girls, the hair and the makeup, it was just very, very over the top, you know, kind of situation for a music video, but it, it was fun. We just were doing, it was just doing, we just kept going and kept going. Um, and I just felt whatever I had to bring to the table, comment wise, I just did. He had so many things already wrapped up in his mind. And usually for me, as a producer, it was more or less 
um, thinking of the most cost-effective, fun way to get it to happen because the videos were, they, they were fun. They were hard work, but they were fun. We, I mean, they were long hours, but we, we still had a lot of good fun. I've always been curious about this. What was your initial reaction to Hit Em Up? Oh, that was the one I didn't like. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it... I didn't like it because I'm like, it's just not nice. And I, you know, I, regardless of the truth of it or not, it's like, treat people the way you want to be treated, not the way they're treating you. And, you know, we definitely had words about that. And, um, you know, he's like, well, if you don't want to do it, then just don't produce this one. I still did it. It was like we were just doing a rollover videos. So this guy, Kevin Swain, was actually the director of that particular one. And it was weird how we got people to match Biggie and then match Little Kim. The girl who played Little Kim was someone I met working with Sinbad, and she was one of the you know production coordinators or production manager. And the guy who played, played uh, Puffy. But it's just sad. For me, it's sad because it's, it's fun. It's music, but they, it's really messages that they're putting out if, if they're having an argument whatever it is whatever is going on in the world if you listen to the music you listen to what's going on in their raps their lyrics it's definitely depicting history at that particular time of how they feel even when he talks about like the Dolores Tuckers and you know even his music prior to I mean I remember listening to some of that music I'm like wow he's deep this kid is not messing around you know and he was a lighthearted guy with so much on him, so much information that he had. He was smart. He was extremely smart. And I'm off because I don't know, hit him up. I just, I don't know. I remember doing that video. I mean, I liked the beat. It was great to dance to, but I did not like, you know, I don't, I don't, I just, I'm more of a peaceful human being. I prefer, even if someone does something bad to me, I don't really want to talk bad about it. Man, you know, it's so good when you can hear people that actually got to know Tupac and actually worked in that, you know, time frame. Talk about the things that are uh, on their minds and, you know, that you don't have to listen to me just sit and drone and drone. So I'm very thankful for that. So getting back to news and views here, I think that we're going <clears> to <throat> talk a little bit about uh, there was recently a, uh, a company and the company is called Hologram USA Networks. And if you remember a couple of years ago, there was a, the Tupac hologram that kind of shocked the world at the Coachella Festival. And, uh, you know, it, although it's not really a hologram, it's a process, and we'll talk about that in a minute, what it really is involved with that. But at, at any rate, the hologram, and we'll just call it that for now, made a big deal. Uh, Snoop Dogg interacted with it at the Coachella Film Festival, or not, Film Festival, the Coachella Festival, and uh, you know it was a it really was a big crowd pleaser, and of course everybody thought then, well that's popular, so why don't we do one with Roy Orbison? Why don't we do one with Marilyn Monroe? Why don't we, you know? And then then they just started coming out of the woodwork. Well, let's just create holograms of all these entertainers. Uh, I think one of the more successful ones that was done was Michael Jackson. They did that. I think it was at the Grammys. Uh, they did a Michael Jackson. Um, uh, hologram. They talked about doing one with Whitney Houston. 
uh, for a while. And that would have been a very interesting uh, thing for sure to uh, uh, have Whitney Houston's uh, hologram. I, I would hope that they would pick the period of Whitney Houston's life where she was a little bit heavier, a little bit less like a skeleton uh, out there. I mean, you know, the, I was watching a documentary. And if you get a chance to see it, by the way, there's a documentary about Clive Davis. And he's a guy who just had a penchant for picking hit artists and signed so many acts and so many uh, popular music groups to, uh, to record deals and was responsible for so many hits. Um, you know, he talked about it, Whitney Houston. He had a relationship with her and, and how sad that all ended up being. And it really was. Uh, he said that the one time she came out and did a show, I think it was the Grammys, uh, and she made a, her first appearance in years. And she came out and it just shocked him as to her appearance and how much she had wasted away. So certainly a, uh, um, I hope that if they were to do a hologram of Whitney Houston, that they would do one where she was actually more at her prime when she did the Star Spangled Banner or something like that, rather than the, the later years. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, these hologram people, though, you know, everybody and their brother thought that they were going to do holograms. And, you know, it's always amazing to me because why is it that Tupac and the world of Tupac, people who deal with him, people who have had business dealings with him and that why is there just so much drama around it all i mean for example i mean the people that claim to have done the tupac hologram i don't think they were really the people that did they just claimed they knew the technology to do it and cited tupac in their marketing opportunities well these guys got sued by the sec because they were trying to raise on millions and millions of dollars in fact got millions of dollars for an investment and guess what they did nothing with it they fucked it up and so that's kind of a problem and it i know that it affects it's almost like a guilty by association relationship there's a lot of companies that invoke the name and the image of tupac and they take that brand and they try to tie themselves to that but let's be honest, I mean, there's been just so many fly-by-night companies and manufacturers and brands that have, you know, talked about the Tupac thing and somehow drug Tupac's name in the middle of it. And probably 90% of these places just go to crap. I mean, they're just, they go belly up. This place has apparently gone belly up. And now the SEC is, is suing them over, you know, trying to go public and then trying to say that they had all of these holograms and this technologies and, and the reality was they, they didn't, uh, you know, it, and, and of course the SEC is going after them on securities violations because they try to raise money through stock offerings. And, you know, when there's nothing there to sell, it's kind of hard to, to make an effort to sell those things. So that's what they're after. But again, it's just another example of another company who's tied themselves to Tupac, maybe because they think there's all this money in Tupac. If you mention the word invoke the name Tupac, money suddenly shows up. Trust me, guys, it does not. Uh, you know, I think Frank Alexander kind of fell into that trap. Uh, I fell into that trap. There's a lot of people that show up new to the game and think that because Tupac sold a lot of record albums and he was very popular, that anything you do with his name associated with it will be equally popular and will just, you know, will have all kinds of uh, the sky is falling, money will just open up, the clouds will open up and rain money down on you. 
the reality is there's not a lot of people who have made a ton of money off of the Tupac name and image. The estate has made some money off of it. They do t-shirts and things like that. Bootleggers have made some money off of it. But we're not talking about millions of dollars here. We're not talking about that. We're talking about thousands of dollars here. Uh, we're not talking millions. And even if you sell millions of uh, copies of something or make a million dollars on a product, by the time it gets down, everybody's got their hands in it. By the time it gets down, it becomes thousands anyway. Not complaining about it, but just trying to state the reality of what happens in a Tupac world uh, that you just don't have that kind of cash flow that a lot of people would think when they just do the association and they conflate what Tupac was able to do himself as a record artist versus what you might do as a project about Tupac and, gee, why didn't you make those millions of dollars, okay? There's money to be made, but it's not what a lot of people think that it would be. So... Anyway, that, that was what I was talking about. Um, but yet, here we go, another company that's gotten tied up in the Tupac-related world. Now, let's talk about the Tupac hologram for a minute because it's kind of cool. Uh, the hologram is not really a hologram. A hologram is a three-dimensional image that you should be able to walk around independently and look at from any particular angle and, and view. And that's anybody who knows what a hologram is, that's, that's actually what a hologram really is. The Tupac hologram was not, in fact, a hologram. The Tupac hologram utilized a technology that is known as Pepper's Ghost. That's the name of the actual technology, called Pepper's Ghost. And this technology was actually invented back in the late 1800s uh, by an illusionist who wanted to allegedly raise people from the dead. And he did this on a stage show. And essentially to break it down so it doesn't get too technical or too confusing, what Pepper's Ghost really is, is it's a projection of an image that's hidden away so people can't see the actual image or figure or, or movie or whatever the projection is. Uh, and it sits below the eyesight of the public and is projected onto glass or to a screen that is also di very difficult to see by the human eye. It's it's almost invisible. That's the whole point of it. You shouldn't be able to see it. If the trick is done right, you don't see it at all. And many of you will actually recognize Pepper's Ghost because it's actually the very same technology that they use at Disneyland for the Haunted Mansion. If you go and you ride the ride or Disney World, you go see Haunted Mansion, and there's this big room where you go in and there all these ghosts are swinging from the chandeliers and having a party at the tables and doing all these fun things, and they disappear and they reappear and they disappear. You can see through them, and it's, a, it's an amazing technology, but at the end of the day, what it really is is that you can't see it, but probably 20 feet in front of you uh, on the ride... Uh, what you think you're actually not seeing is a screen. And these images are projected on the screen, and that screen sits between you and the physical room itself. So the ghosts are projected onto that screen, and you are unaware that you're really looking through a screen into that room. And uh, they do it with glass, and they can do it with what they call a scrim, which is a very, very fine... Uh, screen, like a screen door. I mean, it's nothing different than what you use in a screen door. But the image is projected up on that screen, and you are looking through that screen into basically an empty room. If you were to walk in the Haunted Mansion and look at that, that big ballroom setting, 
uh, it's empty. The room is completely empty. And there are no ghosts that would appear and disappear. The only thing is it's basically a layover on top of what you're looking at physically. So the Tupac thing was actually no different. Snoop Dogg was able to dance around next to it, and occasionally he would get close, and he could go behind the screen. And that's really what's important here. Any interaction that Snoop did with Tupac was behind a screen. You can't see the screen, but it's there. And the Tupac image is projected from a specific distance to make sure the height is correct. It uses regular height, full-size guy. And Tupac did his part. They had uh, a couple of actors come in. Uh, and uh, uh, one of them I know uh, went in there and, and they did the body modeling for Tupac to create this image. And that's how he did it. But when Snoop was interacting with Tupac, what he would do is he would step behind a screen. And this is all very well rehearsed. They went into Coachella and Snoop was practicing and knew exactly where he could stand, where he could dance around, where he couldn't dance around, uh, so that he didn't ruin that image. Now, had he stepped in front of the uh, screen, and, and from the naked eye, you wouldn't know the difference if he did or didn't. So I don't want to hear people say, hey, I saw the video and he did step in front of Tupac. No, he didn't. He actually stepped behind a screen. You just don't know the screen is there, and it looks like that. Had he stood in front of the image of Tupac, it would have projected on top of Snoop, and it would have looked really stupid. So anyway, that's Pepper's ghost. That's what the trick is. So for all of you who really thought that there was a Tupac hologram out there, guess what? No, there's no Tupac hologram out there. There's, uh, there's just a, uh, it's an illusion. It's a projection called Pepper's ghost, and uh, now you know a little bit more than what you did before. For me doing interviews, speaking about Tupac, writing books, it's what I felt in my heart that needed to be done. No one else was doing it, so I stepped up. Some people out there don't want us to represent the dime, man. And I did it out of my faith. They just want us to stop. And I did it out of my love for Tupac. Just the reckoning. So I don't have fear. Won't stop. Can't stop. I have faith. To my homie, give peace to the world, give peace to we all, give peace, we gon' call it the reckoning. Don't stop, you can't stop, it won't stop. And I have faith that justice will be served one day, whether I see it or not. All right, welcome back. This is RJ Bond, your host, doing the podcast. What I know, maybe even sometimes what I don't know that I could ask you, maybe you could tell me. So we'll have a little bit of dialogue. But before I forget, um, we're going to set up an email address for you all to contact. Uh, we'll just call it uh, what I know at outlook.com and you can reach that email address. It's what I know at outlook.com and you can get a hold of me. And if you've got any questions or things you want to talk about, we certainly will talk about them over the next few weeks and uh, happy to entertain any conversation in that regard. Uh, I'm going to lift a little bit of a segment, though, from a show that I a podcast I'm very fond of. And um, yes, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So, yeah, I'm knocking it off. But uh, the truth of the matter is, I think it's a great format. So what we're going to call it is uh, things that uh, make me happy and some things that make me sad. How's that sound? So let's talk about things that make me happy. Uh, things that make me happy also might mean things that make me laugh. And uh, in this particular case, I think it is. Uh, something that that makes me laugh. Um, you know, uh, September was the 23rd anniversary of the shooting and death of Tupac Shakur. And uh, we're now in, you know, October looking back. But uh, I, one of the things I thought that made me laugh was uh, 
you know, I think the, the perfect place that you could have some sort of a opportunity for reflection, some sort of an opportunity for follow-up, some sort of an opportunity for, uh, you know, an update to anything and all that might be happening uh, these days. And uh, what's interesting is that the um, Las Vegas Review Journal, uh, which is not the Sun. The Las Vegas Sun is where Kathy Scott worked for at one time. But the Las Vegas Review Journal is a newspaper. They're an online newspaper, maybe a physical newspaper. I'm not sure because I don't live there. Uh, it, that talks about everything that's going on in Las Vegas. And of course, one of the biggest things and most infamous things that ever happened in Las Vegas, there's a lot that happened in Las Vegas, but this is one of them. And one of the bigger ones was that Tupac Shakur was shot and killed in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, the Las Vegas Review Journal has a big headline called Who Shot Tupac Shakur 23 Years Later? No Arrest. That's the headline. It's in the Las Vegas Review Journal. No Arrest. It's written by Mike Shorrow and Michael Quiney. Quinn, Quinney, Q-U-I-N-E. I don't know how to pronounce it. But anyway, you got two reporters on this. So you're thinking, man, this has got to be big news, right? 23 years later, maybe these guys came up with something after all. Who would have better access to the Las Vegas police than the Las Vegas journalists, Las Vegas Review Journal? And since they stuck two guys on this, it's got to be big news. Well, I, it kind of makes you wonder about what the uh, uh, what the talents are of the two guys because I am actually going to read you verbatim the article. And you think, oh God, I'm driving in my car. Man, I better sip my coffee now. This is going to be a long one. No, that's the point. Ironically, underneath it, it says, don't miss the big stories like us on Facebook. Well, here's the big story. And again, like I said, the title of the article was who shot Tupac Shakur 23 years later, no arrests. It says, on September 7th, 1996, a white or cream-colored Cadillac pulled up alongside a newer model black BMW at the intersection of Flamingo Road and Koval Lane in Las Vegas. In the BMW were driver Death Row Records Marion Shugnight, CEO, and passenger Tupac Shakur. A figure from within the Cadillac opened fire, pumping about a dozen rounds into the BMW. Shakur, the legendary rapper, was critically wounded and Knight suffered a graze injury. Shakur would die several days later of his injuries at University Medical Center on September 13, 1996. More than two decades later, no arrests had been made in his death. That's it. That's the entire... It, it took two guys to write that. Okay? We're talking one, two, three, four paragraphs. That's it. In the Las Vegas Regional, four paragraphs. And these guys write it. They are the guys that have probably the easiest access to the Vegas police. They live in Las Vegas. They can drive down to the police station and write this article. And I laughed my ass off because I thought, wow, I was expecting something big, you know, big headline. Who shot Tupac Shakur 23 years later? No arrests. And you get four paragraphs. I scrolled down thinking, well, man, where's the rest of the story? That's it. There is no other story. That was That's the best they could come up with. Thank you, Las Vegas Review Journal. So let's talk about what makes me sad today. Well, what makes me sad today is what makes me sad pretty much every day in the world of Tupac. 
And that is these damn Tupac Alive theorists. Oh my God, you just never hear the end about this. And I did do a little bit on my YouTube channel about it, and some people pushed back, and where well, that would, you just don't like it because that debunks your theory. Well, no, I don't like it because there's never actually ever been any single piece of real evidence to support it. Not only that, but I have had years of talking with his closest family members. His mother and I talked about it. His aunt and I talked about it. The outlaws talked about it. You know, you, to be able to claim that Tupac was alive means that either every single person around him are the dumbest people that ever walked the planet, or you're alleging a conspiracy of hundreds of people to try to keep it quiet. And that is such a bigger conspiracy that you might as well believe what we're selling because it's easier to believe our conspiracy, if you want to call it that, than the conspiracy that Tupac is alive. I mean, I've personally debunked tons of the photos that have been photoshopped and others have done the same. Uh, the camping trip one was one of my favorites where they just kind of put his face on somebody else and that caused hysteria a little bit and you get them from the same rags i mean i used to have a great deal of respect for the uk mail and the daily mail over in england and and they were clearly easy to take whatever we had to give them because they, they sell papers with it but i really actually thought that there was some journalistic integrity there i had been warned that there wasn't and clearly there there isn't because they keep propagating and they keep putting up this whole tupac alive thing and trying to keep it alive because it sells newspapers that's what they do for a living so i have not seen any real evidence if somebody really wants to bring me evidence that tupac is alive and then by the way also call his mother his aunt everybody else who says that he has passed away a liar you know, that's a real leap. And that's really what pisses me off because I think it's really disrespectful to the people who loved him. These people that are the people saying he's alive, they didn't know him. They didn't love him. They're fans. He's just a somebody to them. And it really insults and I'm sure hurts to a large degree the people that really cared about Tupac because you don't think that they would want Tupac to be alive. You don't think that they miss him every day i'm sure that they do and so this is just this whole tupac alive stuff is really just an insult to these people and for that reason it's something that makes me sad and with that that's it again thanks for pitching in we'll do this every week and that's what i know